Well, hey, what's going on, uh, beautiful family? This is episode 9,324 of The Guided Gathering. I'm your co-host, Toriano Mayo, all right? My wife was like, boo, that's an old joke. I'm like, you still laughed? Shoot, all right, so, uh, hey, I hope your souls are doing well and that they're encouraged and uh, really that you find them deeply rooted in Christ uh, in this season. I know for me, oftentimes I can feel like the waves and the winds of the season uh, kind of blow me all over the place at times, emotionally, even spiritually. Uh, and so I pray that you're finding depth in Christ and really an anchor, a rootedness in Christ, uh, even today as we are gathered together. And so we were not supposed to do the guided gathering this week, as you heard, and the Lord was like, yeah, nah, y'all is. <laughs> and me and the Lord was kind of beefing about that a little bit, all right? But I disagree, but I trust God, all right? And so here we are on the guided gathering. And we originally were going to be outside doing Celebration Sunday, but alas, the rain, right? Oh, uh, R-E-I-G-N-N-R-A-I-N. Uh, yeah, saying. okay, so... Also, with the rain and the muddy field, Anthony didn't want to get his pair of Jordans dirty. So here we are. We postponed until Easter, all right? You got to take care of them, dog, all right? So uh, to be honest, as Seth said, this is a great day to celebrate in a lot of ways. And it really does reflect all of who we are as believers in Jesus. And so today, the sermon is going to be uh, shorter than usual because I'm actually going to do what we were going to do uh, for Celebration Sunday. And in a way, I hope that today will actually prepare us for what we will get to celebrate two weeks from now so that we even have more of an understanding as to why we do those things as the people of God. And so we're going to actually stay in the book of Nehemiah. We'll be in Nehemiah chapter 10, so feel free to turn there. And I really want to show us why what we would have been doing tonight and instead of what we were going to do during Easter, uh, really why that is a part of the Christian tradition at large, that we're not kind of doing something new or something cool or something uh, hip in some ways. It's like we're really following what the scriptures have laid out all the way back from the beginning of how God desires to be worshiped and how our souls are stirred when we do certain things. And so Nehemiah 10 is where we're going to be. And instead of having readers, because we had to cancel last minute and uh, just kind of throw this together, we're going to chop it up together here. And I'm going to read for us, okay? And so uh, as you're turning there in Nehemiah chapter 10, what you see uh, in verses 1 through 27 is a long list of names once again. This is our third genealogy, really, in this book at large. And so don't worry, there's not another genealogy sermon today, all right? But there's still a lot of importance here because in these lists of names, what we see very clearly is that Nehemiah knew who was a part of the covenant family of God and who wasn't. Now, verse 28, if you look there on the screen, you see that these names weren't exhaustive. They were representative in a way. There were more people than what was just named. But Nehemiah very clearly knew who was in and who was out in a lot of senses. And similarly, in the church, this is why we do membership in a lot of ways. It's for the elders to know, hey, here's who you are supposed to be shepherding and to be overseeing and to be praying for so that the staff would know, here's who you're supposed to be equipping to do the work of the ministry so that each of us would know who to hold accountable and how to love and who to fight for in this community together. So by no means does this make a covenant member more important than a non-covenant member. That's not at all what the vibe of this or the vibe of us is. But Hebrews 13, 17 does say that even we as leaders will have to give an account for the souls that God has entrusted to us. Mm -hmm. And so your soul is actually 
actually part of our stewardship responsibility that we will stand before God one day as staff team members and elders and pastors and CG shepherds. And he's going to ask us about your souls and we're going to have to give an account to that. And so in a way, really, membership is us saying, hey, I want to be cared for. I want to be shepherded and guided and held accountable and spurred on towards loving good deeds. And I also will care for others. I will fight for them. I will find some of that responsibility to love my neighbor as myself and to love my brother, to be my brother's keeper in that sense. And we will all fight for Christ together. And so this is why we actually do membership and why we celebrate membership. It's really kind of rooted in the understanding of, hey, there are people that are doing this life together. God, in his sovereignty, has orchestrated different people at different times to come into a space to really make much of his name together. And we kind of celebrate that. And so even as we go and we uh, celebrate that on Easter, this is what we are highlighting. It's celebrating who God has added into the family over this season, who is covenanting with us to make much of Jesus together, to fight for community in that sense. And since COVID, we actually have almost 200 covenant members to celebrate with one another. And so we kept saying in the midst of it, and it sounded like the cool little Christian kind of, you're supposed to say this as pastor sort of thing of like, God's still working. God was still working, y'all. Our body was growing. A lot of these members actually were even coming to faith in the midst of all of the COVID chaos. And God is moving, and we want to celebrate that as a church family. And so we see this in the passage, the covenant family coming together to worship God, to make much of him, Nehemiah, even knowing who these people are. And that's what we're going to celebrate on Easter Sunday now. And so that's part of what we're celebrating there is the covenant members. And so if you're new, man, we want to celebrate you. And if you've been a covenant member for six months or for six years, like we want to celebrate and say, man, thank you. And let us push back darkness together just as they were doing here, as they gathered together to highlight their God, to fall more in love with him, and then to be commissioned to do a work on God's behalf for the sake of his glory. Amen? Amen. And so the second thing that we were gonna celebrate tonight as you're watching this and what we will do in a few weeks is child dedication and really to be able to dedicate these children together. And so in Nehemiah chapter 10 in verse 30, it says this, it says, we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. Now you may say, wait, what does this verse have to do with child dedication? And no cap, nothing. (laughs) Not directly at least, okay? Like I'm just, I'm being real. I just don't want to twist scripture in here, all right? And make it say, but the idea actually carries really, really, really well, okay? What they're doing is they're making a covenant with God to not give their daughters to foreigners. Now, on the surface, in our context, that sounds a little bit sus, right? But culturally speaking, when you married someone, you actually adopted the religious views of the individuals that you married. Honestly, the same is true today even, which is why Paul commands us in Corinthians to make sure we covenant with those who love Jesus. If you marry someone who loves Jesus desperately, not loves him because they love you, and they're actually using Jesus to get to you. All right, right? But they actually are affectionate towards their king. You will naturally want to love, grow, know, understand, pursue Christ more deeply. 
By the way, that's a little nugget for some of us today, okay? Some of us need to not be afraid to pursue godly women and godly men that will spur us on towards Christ. And some of us need to be careful about who's pursuing us because some of us have uh, actually chased emotional intimacy that relationships could provide rather than the spiritual intimacy that our souls actually need. And this will cost us significantly in the long run and it will leave us bankrupt in the long run. We need people that are spurring us on towards Christ. And so in essence, what they're saying is, hey, we're not going to set up with our sons and and daughters and, and their daughters and their sons. We're not going to set up a false worship of a false God because our sons, if they married their daughters, could end up adopting the false view of the nations around them. And our daughters, if they married their sons, could adopt the false views around us. We want to make sure that we are covenanting towards God and that really we are producing families and generations who love and worship Yahweh. And so through their families, they're saying, look, we want to set up the best environment for the future generations to know, love, worship, and serve the Lord our God. And that's what we do with child dedications. We're saying we want to do as best as possible. We want to set it up so that our children would know, love, worship, honor, highlight, and praise the Lord our God, and that He would be their God as well. And so we're essentially, we're committing them in child dedication, in essence, to the very same thing that they're doing here in chapter 10, verse 30. See how I didn't eisegete scripture there? It kind of came back around, all right? And so it's very similar in what's going on there, okay? What we were also gonna celebrate was baptisms, which is something we're very used to at the well. And I wanna, once again, highlight the four things that baptism really represents. And you see it there on the screen, uh, is it really represents, it reminds us and the people being baptized of the atonement that we have in Christ. It also symbolizes our union with Christ. It showcases our union with the church, and it's an act of consecration, or it sets us apart is what that word means. Now, what do each of those mean? Well, I wanna look at how we even see that here in this context. And so, once again, in Nehemiah chapter 10, pick it up in verse 33. It says this, it says, for the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offerings, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for the work of the house of our God. And so we see them saying, hey, listen, we're going to practice these things that remind us of our need for cleansing, of our need for atonement, to be made right with God. In the Old Testament, that was through the sacrifice of an animal, which foreshadowed or it pointed forward to the sacrifice of Christ, the greater lamb of God. Similarly, in baptisms, just as they foreshadowed the Christ that was to come, we flash back to the Christ who came. And it is a representation of who this Jesus was. When we go underwater, it represents our death. We died and Christ now lives in us. His payment on the cross, we are claiming, was accredited to us. We are cleansed from our sin and from our brokenness, from what would have separated us from God. We are atoned for is what that word means, made right with God again. That's one of the things that baptism highlights. And so it reminds us of the atonement of the Lamb of God that paid for our sins to make us one with the Father once again. But it doesn't just remind us of our atonement or our righteousness or our right standing before God, but it also highlights our union with Christ. So not only are we made right with God, we're actually unified with Christ as well. We see there in verse 36, let me read this for us as well. It says, 
Also, to bring to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and of our flocks. You may say, hey, what are we saying? Intimacy with Christ here. Notice the word that they're using. They say of our God. There's intimacy, there's union, there's communion with their God. This is not some distant God that the Israelites were trying to appease. They recognized that there was a covenant relationship between them and their God, so much so that they did not just call him Elohim, but they called him Yahweh, which was a covenant name, an intimate name between them and God. And they didn't just call him a God or the God, but our God is what they say there. There's intimacy there. They're trying to build this relationship even with God in these practices. And so in baptism, we're actually reminded of the intimacy, the union that we have with Christ. Just as he died, so did we. We have died with Christ, but by his power, just as he rose, so will we. And we will rise one day when we come up out of that water. It is a representation of our bodies, which will one day come up out of that grave and be glorified forever with our king. Amen? Amen. That is good news. Y'all better get hyped at that junk, okay? This is what will happen to us. We are not cast off forever. We are not distant from God. There is a unity even in the death and resurrection of Christ. And if there is a unity in the death and resurrection of Christ, is there not a unity in all things? See, all things are now ours in Christ, and he gives us all things, as Romans 8 would even tell us. And so this passage foreshadows a really a greater reality that atonement with God is possible. Even as you see the Israelites in Nehemiah 10 recognizing this ability to find intimacy with God, it's a foreshadowing that you can actually be intimate with God. There is an ability to have relationship. Our sins can be forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thirdly, I want to read in verse 39, the last verse of this passage. It says this. It says, For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain and wine and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. We will not neglect the house of our God. Notice the phrase there, we. Once again, there is this unity, not just with God, but with each other there. They're on mission together, united in their pursuit of Christ with one another. So in baptism, we're representing not just unity with Christ, but actually unity with our brothers and sisters as well. Because every single Christian throughout human history has been baptized into the death, burial, and resurrection of our King Jesus. And so we're not doing this new thing or this cute thing in some ways. We're representing that one day all believers will all have the same proclamation before our God that we are standing in heaven because of nothing else but the blood of Jesus. And we are unified in that, that we are joined together and we're joining together with this diverse uh, global church of Africans and Asians and Middle Easterners and second century Christians and 12th century Christians and 20th century Christians 
Christians, all of whom we love and we serve God together, we are all baptized into the same death and all resurrected into the same life. And we can be we because of the blood of Jesus. This is good news. And so we includes the leaders and the elders or the priests and the Levites and the congregation and those who are present and the young and the old and the white and black and brown and whatever it might be, we can be unified because of our great unifier. And if this is true in Nehemiah 10, before the death of Christ, which broke down the dividing wall of hostility, how much more is it true now? We participate in baptism together, and it should remind us of, hey, we are all one family together in Christ. That is good news, y'all. That is good news. Fourth, the last thing baptism highlights is our consecration or our set-apartness, okay? Jump backwards to verse 28 here, the first verse after the long list of names. And it says this. It says, the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of their God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding. Notice that the people of Israel, they were separated from something, mainly the worship of the false gods and the foreign lands, really from the false god to something, to God and to his ways. And so they were consecrated, separated from something to something. And in baptism, we have a very similar act that we are representing. It is us saying, hey, the old me is dead. The old me no longer lives. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who now lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live it as unto the Son of God. My life is holy. It is set apart now. I am a new creation. Not that I'm perfect, right? Not that I never sin. No, no, no. I do still stumble, but I want to walk with Christ. I want to be holy. I want to be used by God. I want to experience that freedom in its fullness. And in baptism, that is our way of professing that and confessing that even before our God. And so if you have been baptized before, remember your baptism. Remember what that meant for you and what that means for you even today. You are a new creation resurrected with Christ and we should walk in the holiness that is set before us. And if you are going to be baptized, this is part of what you get to represent is this new life that Christ has purchased for you. You are not your own. You have been purchased by Christ. Praise God. Because I don't know about you, but I don't do a good job at saving myself. I don't want to be my own. I need a savior, right? Look at the emphasis even on the word of God here. You see it there on the screen. Verse 28, 29, and then 29 again, 34 and in 36, all mention the word of God or keeping God's law or God's commandments. They really wanted to please and honor God. And so everyone, even who's getting baptized in a few weeks or who's dedicating their children before the Lord in a few weeks or everyone who is gathering and worshiping, making sacrifices of praise to our God, it is a desire, whether it's a desperate desire or even a small desire, it is present nonetheless that we desire to follow God, to be set apart by God, to be used by God for his glory. This is what we were made for. Sin says that we are our own God and that if we are left to ourselves, we would fend for ourselves. And we kind of want it that way often in our own hearts. But Christ says, no, 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 I bought you with a price. And not only am I yours, but you are also mine. And I give myself to you and I will continue to cleanse you for my
myself. In a lot of ways, what sin tells us is that we are our own saviors, that you can save yourself. And the gospel says you can't save yourself. You actually need a savior. And yet the eternal one has come down and brought redemption to us. And he has called you to be his own, but then he also commissions you back out to be used by him. And this is what we see here in Nehemiah. They recognize their sins of last week from chapter nine, but now here they are repentant before God, wanting to be set apart by God and then commissioned by God to be used by God. They're doing the same thing that we do every week when we gather in a lot of ways. And so baptism or worship or giving or serving or reading the word, this is our response to the grace of God in our life. And so Nehemiah chapter 10 really just foreshadows the church in a lot of real ways. In fact, notice the phrase that runs through this section, beginning in verse 29 to the end of the chapter, it says the phrase, the house of our God, eight times. And so eight times in just 11 verses, they were really serious about the gathering of God's people, what you and I would often call church, right? They were serious about having church together in that sense. And we see them serious about worship and the amount of times that it mentions the singers that are there before our God. There's a clear reading and a preaching of the word as we saw a couple of weeks ago and even here once again with them very focused on keeping the law of God. There are these commitments and covenants that were being performed. And so even as we partake in communion together in a few weeks, and when we gather together regularly, we are doing the same thing, y'all. We want to set ourselves apart and remind ourselves of what the blood of Jesus has purchased for us. And so in the celebration of God's people and the covenant family coming together, Nehemiah 10 is what we're going to get to practice in a few weeks. It's really the Bible coming to life. It's us just carrying out what has already been laid out by God in the scriptures, which is the nourishment for our souls. And in obedience, we find life to that in a lot of ways. It highlights the beauty of Christ, reminds our souls of the wonders of his love, of the purchase that Christ has made and the price that he paid for our souls. What we do is important, Mm -hmm. y'all. And so even to that end, I want to encourage you, hey, listen, on that celebration Sunday, come out. Let us celebrate Easter together. Let us celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And oftentimes we kind of get the same message. And for a lot of Christians, they're kind of used to it. And it's the most important message that Jesus died, that we might be reconciled with God. But he did not stay dead. He got up out of that tomb. All of what we're celebrating is the resurrection and new life that we have. Communion is that remembrance and baptism is that new life and the covenant community is the church coming together. You know, the church that Christ bled and died and purchased Mm -hmm. and it is us coming together. We're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. And so we want you to come out and then even on the regathering stuff, listen, we want you to be wise in the midst of that. And there are people who are not able to regather or don't feel safe to yet. I pray that if that's you, that your soul thirsts and longs for the day, and it forces you to more and more prayer towards that. Some people, they are safe because of uh, the vaccinations or or they feel like there's a freedom to be able to because they're low risk or whatever it might be. I mean, we want you to long to be able to gather because the nourishment of our souls happens there, y'all. And so go take that survey. Let us know so that we can know, so that we can prep well, because we want to make these practices a regular habit in our lives again for the nourishment of our souls. Our souls are needy in that. And so let us be a people that practice Nehemiah 10 together. 
Let us be a people that practice Hebrews 3 together, or John 17 together, or 1 Corinthians 14 together, or the many passages in Scripture that talk about the gathering of God's people. Amen? Amen. So, hey, listen, I pray that this helps us see what we're going to do on Easter Sunday, because I'm ready to get crunk out there, y'all. All right? I'm already be hype on Easter. I already be crying every Easter. I'm for sure going to cry when I hear your testimony and when we hear about God's yeah. goodness together. Yeah. Amen? Hey, thanks for joining us this morning. I love you guys like crazy. Let me pray for us. Um, Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, Thank you for your blood, for your death, for your burial, for your resurrection. Uh, I I really did want to celebrate today with God's people. Uh, In some ways, I'm kind of like, man, is this you being sneaky? You want us to celebrate on Easter? (laughs) Uh, I I, I want to do that. And in some ways, I'm excited about that, Jesus. To be able to celebrate uh, the day where we celebrate your resurrection, really the resurrection of our lives as well. That's what your heart is. That's what you long for, is for your people to be resurrected with you. And so as we pray that our children would experience that grace, as we proclaim that we ourselves have received that grace through baptism, as we show that the church is coming together to lift up the name of Jesus in the city, as we take communion and sing songs and sit under the word of God, as we worship together, would it be to the glory of your name, God? And God, I pray that you would continue this sustaining power that you have been giving our church in this season. God, I pray that we would be able to regather, that the possibility would turn into a reality, uh, and that you would continue to allow us to be able to even spur one another on towards love and good deeds, that you would be exalted, Jesus. So God, I thank you for the theme that we see throughout Scripture. I thank you for the book of Nehemiah. God, I confess that I went into this book thinking that, man, we might get a building out of this joint. (laughs) Uh, And maybe you led us into this book just to show us the importance of regathering, that these people were in exile for years, and now they finally get to come back and worship God. And all the last chapters are all about the worship of you, corporately. So God, I want that. I pray that we would have that. And I pray that next week, as we're doing maybe one of our last guided gatherings, the following as we are able to celebrate your resurrection and worship you together. And God, then, maybe even in the regathering, would our souls be nourished? Thank you, Jesus. God, I pray for those who are not in the covenant family of God, would they hear that today they can come in? That because of your sacrifice, Jesus, they could be made right with you. And God, for those of us who have been purchased, who are part of the church, not the well, the the big C church, the well being a part of that, I pray that we would remember you bled, you died. Father, you gave up your son. Son, you gave us your spirit. Spirit of God, you give us life. You produce fruit. You are a benevolent God. And let us worship you. We love you, Jesus. Gosh, I just really thankful for this church, God. I'm thankful for the ways you have sustained. I'm thankful for the ways you have orchestrated and 
and, and woven into the story your clear glory, Jesus. Would that forever be true of our church? Would it never be about anything other than you, Jesus? So even as we close in song, I pray that this song would be a true dedication, a prayer even to you. We love you, Christ. Thank you. Praise in your very beautiful name. Amen.